Life is worth the living because he lives. And I appreciate that song, Will. And, and in fact, that's kind of what I'm talking about today. Life is worth living. And the meaning of life. But I first want to kind of think about with you the holidays. And the holidays bring up all sorts of images in our minds and in our hearts. And, uh, and we enjoy thinking about the warmness and the family aspects of, of the holidays. And in fact, we like it so much, there's these uh, movies, Hallmark movies. And I want to invite all the guys over this afternoon to come watch Hallmark movies with me. Yeah, I see a lot of guys want to sign up for that. Maybe it's because we, it makes us feel all kind of warm, fuzzy feelings when we, when we watch those movies. And, and we have these expectations about the holidays too. But for all of the greatness that's within the holiday season, it doesn't always turn out that way, does it? That whatever our ideal, whatever that hallmark ideal of Christmas or Thanksgiving or family time gathering around the tree, it doesn't always turn out looking like that Christmas card, does it? I wish it did. I wish it always felt like that. But it doesn't. And so today I want to begin this kind of holiday season, thinking about emotional health and about our feelings, because feelings are real. And God has graced us with a full spectrum of feelings and emotions. And it runs the gamut, doesn't it? It runs from highs to lows, from smooth to rough, From cold to hot. And from darkness to light. And there is a deep truth to what you feel. Your feelings are true. And they're true for you. And sometimes it's very difficult for us even to articulate how we feel inside, isn't it? That's why when we do find a very perceptive book or movie or song, we're like, that's it. That's how I feel. Or it's, it's, it's exercised something in me and it's brought a catharsis. It's brought those feelings to the front that I couldn't express before. Those feelings are so real. And it's actually... The feelings that actually, which are the things that change the world. It's the feelings. A lot of times we like to think of ourselves as logical, rational, cerebral people. And and yes, thank God we are rational for the most part. But that's not all of what we are, are we? You're not just all rational. When you have conversations with your friend and with your spouse and with your co-workers, you're not always arguing in a rational, logical, cerebral way, are you? 
You know, advertisers know that you're not a logical person. They know that I'm not a logical person. Because in car ads, they don't sell you the car by giving you a spec sheet. No. They give you a feeling that when you get that Lincoln, are you going to be Matthew McConaughey? (laughs) You're going to feel like Matthew McConaughey. Because in my car, I don't feel like Matthew McConaughey. And they know that they can motivate you not because they're rationalizing and being logical. No, they're appealing to your feelings. Because it's feelings that are so powerful. And so when people persuade you of things, not only is it rational, but it's also an emotional appeal, isn't it? The greatest persuaders marry the rational and the emotional together. We're all about feelings. And sometimes our society lays on us expectations that cannot be filled at Christmas time or at any time. But the thing that I do know and what Scripture reveals to us is that some of the greatest people of faith, some of the people that had such great faith and vitality and courage, who believed in God, also had moments of depression. We can all have moments of depression. We can all suffer from being emotionally wearied, from being sad, to being despondent, to being bereaved, to being lonely, to being overwhelmed, desperate, and unloved. And great people have felt that of faith. And a lot of times we level judgment on ourselves and on other people who are experiencing that emotional loneliness, that depression, Increase your faith. Where's your faith? And I turn to 1 Kings 19.3 and I read the words of the great prophet Elijah who says to God, It is enough. Now Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. That was a... When that was read in the Scripture reading, I... Didn't it feel incomplete? That you wanted to hear another verse. That you needed some type of resolution. Surely that's not it. But that was it for Elijah at that moment. That he called out to God. He says, I've had enough, God. Take me. Take my life. And the first thing that I want to tell you is is that number one, Elijah was a great prophet feeling this way. Feeling this way in private. Right? That we can have this public life in front of each other and everything be going according to plan and everybody think, yeah, he's okay, she's okay, they've got it together. 
But when we retreat in private, there's another situation. You see, what was going on in, the, in Israel was that there was this great wickedness that had consumed the people. That instead of worshiping God, Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen, had created a new temple in Samaria dedicated to Baal worship. And Elijah was given the power over the rain. Imagine that. He was the rain-making prophet. And he was able with his word to restrict the rains. And, And a drought was brought on Israel because of their abject wickedness. Because of the rejection of Yahweh, the rejection of God. And so this drought came and, and Elijah was witnessing God's provision in a miraculous way. That when he was in need, the ravens, listen to this, the ravens brought him food. That he went and lived with a widow. And miraculous food happened for he and that widow. And then he raised this widow's son from the grave. Think about all these things that Elijah was seeing in his life. But things got worse during that drought. And it says in 1 Kings 18.4 that Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. And so it was going to come down to a showdown between the prophets of Baal and one prophet named Elijah. And it's interesting that when Ahab comes to Elijah, what he calls him, he says in 1 Kings 18, 17, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? You see, what Elijah brought to Israel was this judgment of God, and it wasn't convenient for the people because he was holding back the reins, and Ahab said, Here comes the troubler. And Elijah said, No, I think you got it wrong. You're the one that's troubling Israel because you are the one who has forsaken the commandments of God. You're the one who's turned to idols. You're the one who's really troubling. And Elijah was this great prophet. And in chapter 18, he's a great prophet because number one, he says, you need to make a decision to the people in verse 21. And a great prophet and a person of faith puts that decision before the people. Verse 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. But the people answered Him not a word. This great prophet brought the message of decision to the people. He says, when are you going to decide? Choose God or choose Baal. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Remember Joshua 24, 14? Joshua says to the people, choose whom you will serve this day. So Joshua the prophet brings the decision before them. And like a great prophet, he is not concerned with consensus. In fact, the consensus is against him. Look at the very next verse, verse 22 of chapter 18. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. He's outnumbered. 
Everyone believes the same thing. And there he is alone facing these prophets. Not only the prophets of Baal, but also of Azariah. Another 400. So there's 850 prophets against one prophet. He's troubling them, isn't he? You know, we need troublers today. I'm reminded of the Franciscan benediction that that speaks of the troubling that we need. Listen to this prayer. May God bless you with a restless discomfort about easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may seek truth boldly and love deep within your heart. May God bless you with a holy anger at injustice, oppression, and the exploitation of the people so that you may tirelessly work for justice, freedom, and peace among all people. May God bless you with the gift of tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, or the loss of all that they cherish, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and transform their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can really make a difference in the world so that you are able with God's grace, to do what others claim cannot be done. In some sort, we need to be blessed with discomfort, with anger, with tears, with foolishness to be able to change. And and Elijah had that, didn't he? He was foolish enough to think that one prophet against 850 was going to win. And that's what happens. He experiences the greatest victory in his prophetic career on Mount Carmel. He asks the prophets to gather together and to offer this altar to their God to Baal and then he would offer one. And it says that the people got together and they began to pray and to pray and to pray to Baal. And what happens? Nothing. It got so bad that they began to cut themselves, to lance themselves, and spill their own blood on the altar waiting for Baal's fire to fall to consume the altar. I just read, you think that's far-fetched. You think that's strange. But in fact, in Nepal, India, this week is the week of the greatest animal sacrifices of the year. And in fact... Just a few years ago, they slayed up to 500,000 animals in one day. And they're set to to sacrifice about 5,000 buffalo. And it started about 236 years ago when a farmer had a vision. And he cut himself and offered his own blood to a goddess. For what? It was futile doesn't change anything. And Elijah says to the people, where is your God? Is He out to lunch? Is He taking a nap? And then he builds an altar. It says that he repairs the altar that was already there. And in fact, they pour water on the altar three times. And great fire comes down from heaven and consumes the fire. You think, wow. 
What a show. If there was any person on earth that wouldn't be discouraged, who wouldn't doubt, who wouldn't be depressed, surely it would be Elijah. He just had the greatest victory over these prophets of Baal. But then he hears that Jezebel has it out for him. And it says in chapter 19, 1, that he retreats to the wilderness without his servant. And he finds himself alone, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under the broom tree or juniper tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. And when you look at Scripture, you find not only the goodness and the power of God, but you find the weakness of man, don't you? Some of the greatest heroes of faith had issues, had problems. Noah, he had a little self-control problem, didn't he? He spent a little much, too much time in the vineyard. Best I can remember. Abraham had a strange relationship with the truth. He couldn't always tell the truth like he should. Moses had all kinds of insecurities and then suffered from unbelief, it says in the Scriptures. Of course, Job had more questions than answers. We know that Peter... Tempestuous Peter denied the Lord. And Paul had some strange thorn of the flesh. Some weakness, didn't they? And sometimes our wilderness happens after our greatest victories in life. Don't they? I don't know what victory you've had in your life, but all of us have some victories, whether it be professionally, whether it be in our relationships with one another, maybe victory over addiction, maybe finding elucidation and clarity in Scripture or in our lives, or maybe we finally understand the joy of serving, or we bring someone to Christ, or we finally do the right thing, even when it's inconvenient, we do the right thing. We tell the truth. Or we get appreciated and validated for who we are or what we've done. And then we find ourselves alone. We find ourselves depressed. Elijah was depressed. And we find that God has grace for those who are depressed. And it comes in two fashions. It comes both naturally and it comes supernaturally too. The first is the natural. God gives Elijah some time. And what does Elijah do? He sleeps. You know what? That's good for you. Sometimes we just need to sleep off whatever it is that we're going through. In fact, John Steinbeck once said, It is a common experience that a problem difficult at night is resolved in the morning after the committee of sleep has worked it out. We have to start by where we are and what we do. 
by being human, by sleeping. The second thing that Elijah does, it's not supernatural. He's offered food. Sometimes we just have to sit down and eat even when we don't want to. Even when we don't feel like it, we just need to eat because the body and the spirit are interrelated. And if we bring on sickness, if we bring on weakness of flesh, then it will only compound the problem of the spirit. And so he is told, arise and eat. Arise and eat, Elijah. You need some food. And so there is this natural grace that happens for Elijah in his despondency. But we also see that there was an angel there. It says, verse 7, And an angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. God has granted us the spirit of angelic care. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And I don't know what that means. But I do know that it means that God cares for us. And He has angels that look over us, that care for us. Also, His Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8.26, listen to this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for the saints according to His will. Not only do we have this supernatural care from angelic beings, but we have the Holy Spirit who makes intercession for you when you don't even know what to pray for. The Holy Spirit Himself makes intercession for you. What a beautiful concept that is. We also find that Elijah, God gives him the moment to voice his frustrations. Verses 9 and 10, he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he says back, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel and have forsaken your covenant, torn down your, your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I am alone and left, and they seek to take my life. So he tells God what's going on. He confesses to God his weakness in this moment. But we also find that Elijah listens for the voice of God, verses 11 and following. And it says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and before the Lord pass by, a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces where the Lord before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Look at verse 12. And after that earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. You see, Elijah had witnessed God's great judgment and fire. He had seen all of these wonderful signs, but God wasn't in any of them. But He was in that still voice within Him. He listened for the voice of God. Are you listening for the voice of God in your life? That means sometimes that we have to retreat. That means sometimes we have to find ourselves alone to hear His voice. Also, we need to be listening to God's Word. 
If you're listening for God's word, for God's voice and not turning to His word, you're going to miss it. The Bible says that the scriptures are a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So listening for God's voice is also turning to His voice. And what is His voice telling? He says, what are you doing here? And He reminds him of His purpose as a prophet. You see, there is a purpose, there is a meaning for Elijah's life, and it's not in the wilderness. It's not in the cave. It's out there. He says, go and begin and anoint Anoint a new prophet. Anoint a new king. And you see, God can remind us of our purpose. That our purpose is not solely in ourselves. It's in Him. Jesus said it like this, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God reminds us of our purpose. And when we have that purpose, it's that meaning that we need in our life. But also, God reveals to him some good news. Verse 18. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed. Here, Elijah was alone in his cave, commiserating. And meanwhile, There were 7,000 prophets who had not bowed their knees to the idol. There was good news. And you see, when we listen to the voice of God, when we open ourselves up to God's Word and to God's will, there is good news. And that is Jesus, isn't it? Elijah's example is one of profound courage and faith. And we must be prepared to answer with unwavering love and a commitment to the truth, just as Elijah. And Elijah was in a different time and in a different era. And in fact, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, at one time when Samaritans had rejected Jesus, they said, hey, maybe we should do what Elijah did and call down fire and consume all these people. And Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are. The Son of Man did not come to destroy lives, but to save lives. God has put us here for the purpose of saving humanity. That is the purpose of His church. That is our mission. So we have to be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason of the hope that is in you. And even though Elijah's life was filled with great victories for God, there was also defeat in his life. But God granted him grace in simplicity. He granted him grace through sleep, through food, through angels, through confession, through the voice of God, through purpose, and through the good news. There is good news today. Because he lives, it makes life worth the living. Do you believe in Jesus? The Bible says that He is the Son of God, that He is the means of our redemption, that through Him we live and have our being, that we need to repent of sin. We need to repent of the idols that we build in our lives, that we need to confess Jesus to be the Son of God and to be baptized into His body, the church. Or maybe this morning you are a Christian 
and you need prayers of healing, prayers of encouragement, maybe you find yourself and your feelings are getting the best of you, we want to pray for you. If you have any need, we're going to sing this next song to encourage you. So won't you come now as together we stand and as we sing.